Hi, this is James Barris. I hope you find this talk supports you in your practice. If you'd like to support my teaching, you can use the donate button underneath my picture on Dharma Seed to do that. Your support is greatly appreciated. Coming into the home stretch. <clears throat> Can you feel it? <clears throat> Is this too loud? No. <clears throat> There's a kind of trajectory of a retreat, and at the beginning, it's, you know, what did I leave at home? And in the middle, it's, what's for lunch? And then towards the end, it's, what am I going back to, or do I have to go back just yet? Or maybe now you're just kind of settling in, saying, hey, this is okay. <clears throat> <clears throat> That's how we plan it, just uh, leave them wanting a little bit more, you know. <clears throat> That's what gets you to the next retreat, you know. You remember the last day of the last one. <clears throat> Or you might be in a very different place. Wherever you're at is just fine. But uh, often, as you see the end in sight, you start to topple forward. How many people have noticed themselves toppling forward? Yeah. Um, see, you think you're so special? You know, it's just the way it works. You're just programmed like all of us, you know. Um, and it's a very interesting, rich time of a, a retreat as you, as you see the end in sight. Uh, you can learn a lot about the planning mind. And just know, between now and the time that, that you leave, every time you notice yourself toppling forward, no judgment, but just know there's another option, which is coming back to right now. And the more you can practice it here and now in these next his next uh, hours um, and, and half day, um, the more you're able to, to do it actually um, at home, a little bit at a time, it takes practice. So here we are, um, and I wanted to share with you tonight some other uh, principles, three of the 10 wholesome states in this awakening joy uh, approach. Uh, and perhaps you don't realize it, but we've actually been covering most of the, uh, of the states. And I'll, I'll give you a little bit of an overview now, because I don't think I did it at the beginning. Starting out with intention, the intention to place well-being, your well-being, at the center of your life, not as a selfish um, idea, but really as a way to connect with all the goodness and the beauty 
and the wisdom and the love inside of you so that it can not only feel good on the inside, but, but flow out unobstructedly. Then we um, talked about how mindfulness is the basic tool of this joyful life, how it diminishes the unwholesome states of suffering and strengthens, develops the states of well-being and how when you are in a state of well-being, when you're mindful of it, it can amplify it as long as there's no grasping, just really connecting and, and, and savoring uh, and then letting it go when it changes. Uh, the third is, uh, was gratitude, how that's a direct connection to all of our blessings and opens the heart and creates a larger context for um, whatever else we're experiencing. The fourth is opening up to suffering. And after we have that larger context of gratitude, then, and it's not so neat and linear, but just the way that one can think this uh, unfolding occurs, the more we have uh, an open heart that sees our blessings and appreciates life, the more we can um, process all the challenges that inevitably come our way, that are part of life. The fifth is integrity. We talked about that, um, was it yesterday? Um, where living aligned with your values is a foundation for inner peace. And that includes when you see that you've been out of alignment with your values to, uh, to learn how to um, forgive ourselves or learn from the experience. So it's never too late to come back to connection with what really inspires and moves us. The sixth in this 10-step program is letting go. And uh, Deborah gave a beautiful talk on, on letting go. Uh, there's a number of different aspects of, of letting go that we could spend the whole retreat on letting go, spend a whole lifetime on letting go. We do spend a lifetime on hopefully learning to let go. Um, and that, I'll just mention briefly, um, it's such a powerful and important element of, of waking up. It's moving from the second noble truth of grasping to the third noble truth of freedom, letting go of the control that we never had in the first place, including letting go of stuff, actual stuff that we are so uh, compelled to acquire, particularly in this culture, uh, letting go and creating some space, letting go of um, the disease, FOMS, fear of missing something, and where we try to pack it in and to create some kind of balance and space in our lives and in our heart. Uh, I think I'll talk a little bit more about that uh, tomorrow as well. Letting go of our stories. That's, that's the key one. 
And somebody wrote a, a letter, uh, a note about how do you let go of your stories? It takes practice, but the key is first to see how the mind is creating all of these stories. And then you just notice, wow, look at the mind do its thing. If you can have a sense of humor about it, it makes all the difference. If you don't take it personally, I, I forget if I said it here, I said it in one of the groups, when you can shift from, wow, look at my mind, to, wow, look at the mind do its thing, wow. And you can have a sense of humor about it, and you can start to um, be free of the power of those stories, which have been developed over lifetimes, so, uh, lifetime and lifetimes, so it takes some patience, but the more you see through the story with compassion and see how deeply the conditioning has been, uh, the, the more understanding and patience and commitment you have to seeing it in a different way. For me, one of my basic practices, one of my fundamental practices when I get caught, and I get caught plenty, just Ask my wife, she'll <laughs> tell you. Uh, but I don't get caught for that long, gratefully. It's very different than it was 40 years ago. But, uh, you know, it can be right out there. But when I do get caught, I sooner or later just ask myself, what thought am I believing right now? And sometimes we'll say, what story am I believing right now? And then I've taken enough, I've looked at my mind enough so that I s there's a part of me that realizes this is just some scenario I've created in my mind. Like my mother talking about all of her scenarios and disasters that Hollywood would pay millions. I have a few good scripts in my mind too. Just, oh wow, I just got into believing that story. So that's another thing, letting go, which in its full expression is the beautiful quality of generosity. And you heard a little bit about generosity this afternoon, I, uh, I take it. And it's such an incredibly opening, letting go and feeling connection. So that's, that leads us up to the sixth step. And now I, tonight I wanna talk uh, the, yeah, sixth so far. No, generosity is included in letting go. Yeah, sorry. Um, seventh step. I want to explore the seventh, eighth, and ninth, and maybe touch on the tenth. Um, how we actually touched a bit on the tenth uh, in the Big Mind meditation today, which I'll, I'll just men mention briefly, is the joy of simply being where you're you're not trying to cultivate anything and you just rest in your true nature. Maybe we'll touch, we'll see if we can touch a little bit more on it um, tomorrow. But tonight, the three steps that I want to explore are, um, have to do with heart practices, opening the heart. We've touched on them uh, and, and Deborah's led some, uh, some uh, guided on this too but they all have to do with opening our hearts to ourselves and to others. Um, step seven, learning to love ourselves, which 
is not so easy for so many of us. And step eight, as we feel more connected with ourselves, the natural expression, again, this is not a linear kind of thing, but we can focus on our connection with others and learning wise relationship and, and the, the, the beauty of connection uh, as well as the challenges. So step eight, connection with others. And then step nine, um, the full expression of that connection, the compassionate heart. So I'd like to explore these three tonight. So first, learning to love ourselves. And we've touched on it. Jane led the afternoon in self-compassion. I hope you've been using that. How many people have been using that basic approach of self-compassion when things get hard? Great. I'm so glad to see it. You cannot overdo this. Because it's so quick for the mind to just get into, I'm bad, I'm wrong, I'm, everybody else is getting it, or I'm an imposter. When I was, I, I write this in the book, when I was very young, a, a recurring theme in my mind was being a complete imposter. And I had this image, this very, I can see it right in my mind right now, because I had it for most of, much of my childhood, uh, that I imagine that before we're born, there are, um, we're all in this kind of limbo, bardo, I didn't know about bardo, but limbo state, waiting to incarnate as people, souls, if you will. Um, and I imagined that there was this big hand of God or his, and it was a he, right hand assistant, this big hand coming over and picking the soul to be incarnated. You know those, those, um, those machines, you, you can have at the diners where the, the kid puts in the quarter or whatever and the, the hand comes in, you know, and then they go down and you know, Ooh, oh, I got a rabbit daddy, you know, or whatever it is, you know. Well, that's how it was for me. Maybe I had those machines in my child, I don't know, but there I was and it came down and it was supposed to be the guy next to me. But I made it by mistake. <clears throat> and they were gonna find out <clears throat> and send me back. So I was a complete imposter. <clears throat> oh, I know. So, I'll take the sympathy now. <laughs> oh. And, um, <laughs> oh God. <laughs> I've never had that one before. <laughs> now I'm embarrassed. <laughs> I got over it, don't worry. <laughs> it took me a while, but I got over it. But there I was, you know, just, just a complete, uh, you know, that I was going to be found. You ever have that feeling that you're an imposter? There is a great book that I read a um, number of years ago uh, called The Imposter Phenomenon, IP, uh, and the subtitle is, uh, If I'm So Successful, Why Do I Feel Like a Fake? 
Uh, and many successful people have this phenomenon. Anyway, that was... You get the picture. It wasn't like I was crazy about myself. And I had a really hard time I, looking in the mirror, really, uh, up until I was like, you know, 17 or 18, I, I winced. I had really uh, this crew-cut short hair and all the, all the parents thought, oh, he's so cute. And cute was the last thing I wanted to be as, a, as growing up, particularly as a teenager, you know. And, and it wasn't until I grew my hair long that I started to, in, in the 60s, oh, maybe I belong. But uh, anyway, it was really hard, and I just, you know, winced looking at, at the mirror. Mm. And if somebody told me it was possible to love yourself, let alone like yourself, I would have said, not in this lifetime. And I'm here to tell you it's absolutely possible. You just have to see through all of those ideas and small beliefs that keep you from seeing who you really are. <clears throat> what is it? Oh yeah, gosh, no. I'm inspired to read something if I can see it. Oh yeah, here it is. You, you, maybe you know this uh, Marianne Williamson quote. Um, you are a child of God. Your playing small doesn't serve the world. There's nothing enlightened about shrinking so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We were born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. It's not just in some of us, it's in everyone. And as we let our own light shine, we unconsciously give other people permission to do the same. As we are liberated from our own fear, our presence automatically liberates others. Beautiful quote. <clears throat> There's a, a line I love from um, The Course in Miracles, a beautiful Christian um, uh, body of wisdom. It says something like, um, your, 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 your playing small. Is it your belief? Yeah, your playing small is arrogant. Uh, your belief in your smallness is arrogant because it's preferring your own opinion to God's. But we do it so quickly, so easily that we turn our judgments on ourselves and somehow don't measure up to some incredibly unrealistic measuring stick of what a good human being is or a deserving human being is. That's why it's so important to put intention for our own well-being at the center. <clears throat> And it just takes practice. It takes first seeing through those small beliefs and then practicing seeing who you really are. One particular practice is the, the loving kindness practice. <clears throat> and as uh, I think, Deborah, you, you led them in a metta for self, was it? So, and the Buddha said, one beautiful line, we can search the whole world over and not find anyone more deserving 
of kindness than ourselves. So we start with this practicing seeing ourselves as worthy and deserving of love. But it's often not so easy. And for me, a turning point in my practice, in my Dharma practice, after years, decades of practicing, was um, when I, in one moment, really got it, who I really am. It was just a glimpse. And it was on a loving-kindness retreat, and I, I want to share with you a practice that I kind of stumbled upon within myself, and maybe it can be useful for you. Um, you know, as, as Deborah probably shared, you, you're just saying these words, you're programming the mind and the heart for, um, for well-being, wishing well towards yourself. You're saying, you know, may I be safe, may I be happy, may I be healthy, may I, be, may I live with ease, or some phrases like that. And I was spending a um, six-week chunk of time on developing these different heart practices, loving kindness and compassion and, and joy and, uh, and equanimity, the four Brahma Viharas, like the names of those buildings that we have here. And the first week was loving kindness towards myself. So I was doing it and just, you know, saying it over and over. And after a, a few days, it was, it was okay. I wasn't giving myself a hard time. It wasn't great. It was kind of, all right, you know, may I be safe, may I be healthy, may I be happy, and all that. And about three or four days into this, somebody comes to my mind who I know really loves me. There's no doubt about it. And I thought, this would be so much easier if I could only see what they see. And then I magically connected the dots and asked myself, what do they see? Why do they love me so much? And that was when I uh, saw myself in a way that I never had before. And I want to just share this as a little uh, thought experiment with you, and maybe you can play around and maybe get a glimpse of it as well. So I, I invite you to sit, um, you can put any writing stuff down, and just um, connect with this and sit up. And go inside. And bring to mind somebody that you have a really warm, easy, loving connection with. It can be a, a dear friend, it can be a pet, it can be a child, it can be just somebody who it's just sweet being with, that you share a loving connection with. And bring them right here in your consciousness. And imagine they're looking back at you. If nobody comes to mind right uh, currently in your life, you can uh, pick even somebody who's passed, maybe a grandparent or someone, someone else or a teacher. Um, and there they are smiling at you, maybe happy that you picked them 
oh, thank you for picking me. And for a moment, just feel that sweet, trusting, loving connection between you. That's pretty amazing that you can have that with that unique connection with each person. And first feel that, that sweet connection that you share. And now for a moment, and just put anything down, just uh, no writing now, okay. For a moment, see if you can imagine their reality and from their perspective, looking through their eyes, see who they see when they're with their dear friend. Notice all the things about you that touch them. Maybe your playfulness or your good heart or your kindness or your creativity. Drink it all in. Don't hold back. Just see what they see, the essence of you. Just get why it just delights them to be around you. And maybe see for a moment what they would wish for you. Of course they'd wish you to be happy. And from their perspective, maybe send that to yourself. Oh yes, may you see all the goodness inside of you. And now, let your awareness move back from their perspective and come right inside your own skin. And from the inside, stay connected to those beautiful qualities. And just wish yourself well. Either may you or may I, whichever feels right, really see all the goodness inside and share the love that's in there. <clears throat> Maybe in this moment as you're, as you're in this space, if it feels right, just put a, a hand on your heart so you anchor it. There's a beautiful being in there that touches other people whether or not you realize it. Okay, you can open your eyes. And if you got a, even a, just a little glimpse, then as I like to say, the jig is up. You can't pretend that you're not worthy of, of love. And if you didn't, then just be right where you are, no, no judgment. It just means this is a very important area for you to keep on working on, as for most of us. And it just means this is where you are right now, too. It doesn't mean that this is defining who you are. Doesn't it feel good? And can you get a sense of why your friend would like to be around you and what you have to offer the world. 
Mm. If you've touched anything in there, then keep connecting with what you've seen. This is, sometimes I ask this, suppose, suppose you met somebody who really understood you, a really good friend, someone who enjoyed your sense of humor and really appreciated your take on things and um, understood your hopes and your fears and liked your taste. Suppose you met somebody who really got you. How would you feel about meeting someone like that? Wouldn't it be great? There's one person that gets every joke that goes through your head. <laughs> Only one. Unfortunately, they're right inside your own skin. But if you met yourself from the outside, you'd be saying, where have you been all my life? <laughs> Wouldn't you? Yeah, wow, this is a really neat person. But from our own perspective, it doesn't translate that way. And Albert Einstein has this, this expression, he says, we live in an optical delusion of consciousness. And from our perspective, we can't see the truth. So as you are more and more, as you are more and more connected with yourself and you see the goodness, then it, it can shine through. And if you have a hard time looking at it from the inside, then look at it from the outside and know that it's so, it touches people. Uh, Jane uh, got me a, um, a little pillow that's in our, in our uh, living room. When I saw it at a friend's house, I said, wow, that's it. And it says, my goal in life is to be the kind of person my dog thinks I am. <laughs> You're not trying to impress your dog, are you? You just, hi, sweetie, oh, yeah. It just comes out of you naturally. Yeah. So as you're more and more in touch with the goodness inside, you want to take care of this being. You want to take care of the, its body in a skillful way. You want to take care of its mind and its heart in a skillful way. And you want to also see that you're deserving of all the love coming your way. And this is another practice that uh, kind of bridges the, these, these two uh, steps. When anybody is showing any kind of goodwill towards you or says, hi, how you doing? Or holds a door open for you or there's some kind of positive energy, don't miss it. Feel the connection and this is a a kind of Tibetan practice. John McCransky writes this in, uh, uh, writes something like this in, uh, what is his book? Uh, Awakening Through Love, I think it's called. And he, uh, he, it's that when somebody is there sending you goodwill, not only feel that connection, but see them as an agent of life letting you know that you're loved. Don't miss it. They're just, it's just life saying, you're worthy of this kindness. 
And the more you can let in the love, the more you can really allow it to enter and feel maybe it's not a fluke that they want to be kind to me. Maybe I deserve this. The more you can let it in, then the more it flows through you. You, you start to tune into it and you can't hold all the good energy coming your way. So what do you do? You just let it move through you and out. So I sometimes think of ourselves it can be meta-recycling machines, you know. <laughs> you let it in, you don't block it, you let it out, you send it, and it doesn't belong to anybody. Whose love is it? It just is love finding itself. Mayor Baba has this beautiful line, he says, uh, love cannot be coerced or forced on anyone, uh, but though it can't be forced, um, those, uh, it is self-communicative. Those who do not have it, catch it from those who have it. But in a way, it's not even catching it, it's just kind of awakened by somebody outside. So this is the first one, to learn more and more to love ourselves, a very essential component of awakening joy. Because until you can at least be kind to yourself, and if you can't love yourself, then start out with that self-compassion. Until you do, then nobody gets the goodies full on anyway. So that leads to connection with others. Oh, wait, before I do, I want to just read this, this passage. Um, this is from, uh, from Jack's book. You, this is one place you can find it, Jack's book, uh, The Art of Forgiveness, Loving Kindness, and Peace. Um, he says, in the Babemba tribe of Africa, when a person acts irresponsibly or unjustly, he is placed in the center of the village alone and unfettered. All work ceases and every man, woman, and child in the village gathers in a large circle around the accused individual. Then each person in the tribe speaks to the accused one at a time, each recalling the good things the person in the center of the circle has done in his lifetime. Every incident, every experience that can be recalled with any detail and accuracy is recounted. All his positive attributes, good deeds, strengths, and kindnesses are recited carefully and at length. This tribal ceremony often lasts for several days. At the end, the tribal circle is broken, a joyous celebration takes place, and the person is symbolically and literally welcomed back into the tribe. A pretty good tribe to hang out with, isn't it? <laughs> That's another way of working it. When you're feeling somehow that you've, done, you've messed up, instead of tuning into all the ways that you've messed up in your life, just seeing, oh, I just forgot. I just lost myself. And part of the classic metta practice is remembering all the good qualities that you have and remembering the good deeds that you've done. So it just gives a little bit of perspective and space. Okay, so now from 
connection to ourselves, connection with others. <clears throat> this is such a um, central part of awakening joy and well-being. We, we need connection. We are social animals. That's how, that's how we exist. And when we don't have that connection, you know, babies that haven't been given love fail to thrive. And we learn it from each other. And we need to share with each other. And the, in Maslow's hierarchy of needs, after basic survival and uh, taking care of our, our bodily needs, there is the need to belong. We are creatures that need to belong. And we love to belong and feel a part of and feel a connection with others. It's such a, a, a central component of the human experience. And when we don't, we feel disconnected, isolated, lonely. Probably one of the most difficult mind states, loneliness, no one understands. Even if you're around people who love you, you can feel just as lonely. Or you're in a relationship and you can still feel plenty lonely. Just depends how much you either allow yourself to be seen or there's enough safety that feels that connection. And it's so interesting that even the people closest to us, sometimes especially the people closest to us, are the ones that we can feel most disconnected and have a lot of pain or disappointment. And that's um, a whole other dimension of learning to awaken joy, whether it's forgiveness, as we did some yesterday, or seeing through the mind that creates that separation. I'll just mention a bit, I, I, I don't know if Deborah mentioned this, about the near enemy, did you talk about near enemy? The, the near enemy of loving kindness is attachment. Metta or loving kindness is this outflow of just wishing well. And it can easily be distorted into the wanting mind, the grasping mind. And that's where the pain of love comes in. All the country and western songs and romance novels and, and movies and theater, the, the pain of love. True love is not painful. True love is very expansive and generative. <clears throat> but it can easily turn into attachment in a moment. And from that beautiful source of joy can turn into real suffering. So just want to share with you a little bit of an exercise so you can get a sense of how this works. Um, again, close your eyes and bring to mind someone who's very important to you. Maybe it's the person who you just thought of, but maybe uh, somebody else, maybe even a little bit more complicated relationship. Mm -hmm. 
somebody though who's really important to you and who matters. And for a moment, first bring them into your mind and in your heart and just get in touch with how much you really are glad they're in your life and you're um, wanting to see them happy. And maybe seeing them in, a, in their, their best moments and just send them some thoughts of well-wishing. May you truly be happy. And maybe see them smiling at, 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 at your well-wishing. May you be happy. May you know how much I really love you and just want to see you happy. And notice how that feels inside in your mind and in your heart to just wish them well. And now for a moment, get in touch with what it's like when you want something from them or you don't want them to disappoint you or you're a little bit concerned that they won't come through or you have an agenda for them. And as you can recall that, notice how it feels inside. If there's any contraction in the mind and in the heart, in the body. Take a nice breath. I won't leave you here, don't worry. And as you breathe deeply, just once again, wish them well. See them happy and delight in seeing them in that way. May you truly be happy when you know, may you know that I really do wish the best for you. And once again, notice how that feels. You see the, the difference? It's amazing, isn't it? In just one moment, it's, oh, hello, another, oh, are you gonna mess up? How do you feel when somebody has an agenda for you? Do you say, oh, so nice to be with you, thank you? No, we, we pull back, we guard ourselves. So, of course, we want people to come through with, for us, we want to be, them to be dependable and responsible, but the more we have an agenda for them, the more we set up the energy for that disconnection and contraction and the pain that subsequently we feel. Whereas if you can sense that somebody is just rooting for you, you like hanging out with that energy, don't you? So this is why love just begets love. It awakens itself in each other. And what you look for, you will probably find. 
This is one of my main practices that I've been doing for many years before I got into this awakening joy stuff. To look for the good. This came from, for me, from um, uh, Neem Karoli Baba, who is Ram Dass's guru that, who wrote Be Here Now and who touched, has touched my heart tremendously. And, uh, Deborah as well, and, and, and Howie as well. Um, when I read Be Here Now, and just something touched me in, in, in the, the goodness of my heart, and one of Maharaji's, he's called Maharaji's teachings, is the best form to worship God is every form. And for me, that translated as just seeing the, the divinity in everyone. And as best I could, to just keep on looking for the good. And I taught school. I taught school for a number of years, uh, fifth grade and sixth grade in New York. And, um, and when I'd start the, the, uh, the semester, the, the year, I made it a little game to see if I could find the, the beauty and, or unlock that child's heart and just really connect in, in that love. And some kids, you had to wear shades because you know, they were so brilliant and dazzling. You know. But some didn't quite have that natural um, delight and f learned other ways to get attention. But if I tried hard enough in moments of quiet or connection, Sooner or later, everyone wants to be seen and loved. And it became a little game that I then play, played for the last 40 some odd years. Keep on looking for the good because what you look for, you'll bring out of somebody. If you're in a room and somebody else comes into that room and you can get a sense that they're looking and seeing all your flaws and judging you, how do you feel? Flawed, don't you, or small? If somebody else comes into that room and they might know all your flaws, but you just, you sense they are tuning into how beautiful you are. How do you feel? Beautiful, or like how we, said today, beautiful, you know. <laughs> you feel, because it's drawing it out of you. you, it's just awakening that in you. So what a wonderful way to go through life. Of course, it's not realistic or think, oh, I can love everybody. Because some people are difficult to love. But, to aspire and keep on looking inside that wounded place or that scared place that really wants to come out. The more you look for it, the more you will bring it out in everyone around you. So I just invite that for you to, um, to tune into and see that everybody, everybody has that capacity unless you've been very wounded from a very early age and, and never developed any kind of uh, relational connection. But if somebody even is able to love their pet, their dog or their cat, then they have that capacity. 
Mm. Let's see. No, I'll just leave it. One thing that you might do um, is just see if you can tune into imagining another person's perspective. I, I uh, met this young uh, young woman, this uh, 13-year-old uh, girl. Uh, Jane and I were in Trinidad last last year, and we met this amazing wise being named Lal Ann, and she said, um, I have, um, I've uh, figured out an invention that will um, save the world and bring about world peace. I said, oh yeah, okay. I said, tell me about it. She said, it's called a perspective helmet. <laughs> she said, I haven't figured out exactly how to, how to bring it about, but you put it on and all of a sudden you can understand the other person's perspective. I said, keep working on that. I think you got it. Because that's basically where we get tripped up. We are so sure we know where somebody else is coming from. Or we're so sure that we have the truth and if only other people saw it like us, everything would be fine. Have you ever had that feeling? Unfortunately, everybody is going around thinking they've got the truth, or most everybody. The Dalai Lama has a, a great teaching. He says, if somebody has upset you, understand that it's generally not that they're trying to upset you, it's just that their internal reality has intersected with your internal reality in a way that does not match up with your hopes and expectations. That's what's going on. But if you can make that leap and see, oh, I wonder what it's like to be in that person's head. Sometimes it's, whoa, I don't want to stay there for very long. And then you have compassion. And sometimes it's, oh, I understand. Now I see. And there can be forgiveness. So connection with others. And I, unfortunately, I have to move on because Time is running out. But um, that feeling of connection, and, and there's so many different ways that we can experience it. Maybe I'll just say a, a few words besides overcoming the things that get in the way, but feeling that loving kindness, just wishing well, or playing. You know, it's one of the great things about Evelyn being here. You know, I mean, you probably have gotten a little glimpse of it if you've been coming to the, uh, to the movement. Oh, it's fun to play. Remember being a little kid and playing? She or he is right inside of you. And playing with others, having a shared experience is a great connector. We want to share. It feels so good to share. You ever have a, a really great tasting ice cream and you're with somebody and you say, gotta try this, you know? And they say, no, I'm on a diet. And you say, oh, come on, you gotta try it, you know? Not too big a bite, but, but go ahead, try it, you know? Because you wanna share, and you wanna play. And so this is a very 
um, wonderful source of joy. Or as Deborah did in this afternoon, doing a little bit of the mudita, where you tune into somebody else's joy. It's a free joy ride, as I like to call it, where you can just tune in and get delight. There's a little bit more happiness in the world. How wonderful. Not, oh, they've got the happiness, so there's left less for me. That's not how it works. If that's how it would work, then if you're in a room with somebody who's enraged and, and angry, you'd probably say, oh good, they've got the anger and I can be happy over here. But that's not how it works. It rubs off on you, right? In the same way, you can let their happiness rub off on you and see, oh, there's a little bit more joy and happiness in the world. Just like we feel that way when we see kids playing or we're rooting for our hero or heroine in the movie. Come on, yes! Or we're rooting for a team. Yes! We're rooting for our team. Yes! Wow! You know, and feeling it together. Nothing quite like it. Yeah. And there's nothing in it for you other than just seeing the joy more out there. So this then gives rise to um, the last that I'll have a chance for tonight. And maybe I'll just touch on it a little bit, maybe more tomorrow. And that is the sublime state of compassion. It's one thing to feel another's joy. It's another to feel that connection and compassionate heart as the the definition in, uh, in uh, Buddha Dharma, compassion is the quivering of the heart in response to suffering, where we feel that resonance, where we, our mirror neurons get light, lit up when we see somebody else having a hard time or stub their toe. Our brain lights up in the same place as if it were us. We're wired up for compassion. <clears throat> And it's a sublime state, one of those Brahma-viharas. Compassion has suffering as a prerequisite for that sublime state. Isn't that interesting? You need suffering in order to feel compassion. Suffering is not sublime, obviously, but the caring that it evokes is sublime. Isn't that amazing? We didn't have to be wired up that way. But when we can see how good it feels to share, how good it feels to serve, this is where the real joy comes from. This is what Martin Seligman in Authentic Happiness, that book I mentioned before, he says the real authentic happiness comes from finding out what your gifts are and contributing to others, to helping them be free of their suffering and find their own well-being and happiness. Now, sometimes we can be overwhelmed by opening up to the suffering of others because our hearts are so resonant and tuned in. And so it's important to see that compassion 
needs to be balanced with equanimity. With the equanimity that says, this is how it is. And if there's not anything that could be done, just like that Kuan Yin posture that I mentioned yesterday or that's in the back of the room, feeling the pain of the world and yet finding a place of centeredness that can be there for them. You don't have to go around fixing everybody. In fact, the more you try to fix, the more you are getting in the way and disempowering, disempowering someone. But if you simply are there with a very caring heart, that is where the real healing is. But if there's something to be done, then do it. Not taking it away from them, but to just support in whatever way you can. And if there's something to be done, not just on a personal scale, but in the world, this is not just about feeling good inside. Like I, we talked about widening our intention that, that, that first night. Your practice is not just for yourself. Your practice is, the fullness of the practice is a, as a gift to the world. And the world, I'm sure you don't have to have anybody tell you, the world has so much suffering. And these days there is as one friend says, a race between fear and consciousness. And so we're all agents, hopefully, of consciousness and can really awaken that in others as well. This is the real gift of the Dharma. The full flowering is the compassionate heart. This is from Bhikkhu Bodhi, the, the great... Um, a premier translator of the Pali Canon, who wrote a brilliant essay called A Challenge to Buddhists. I'll just read a little bit. If Buddhism in the West becomes solely a means to pursue personal spiritual growth, I'm apprehensive that it may evolve in a one-sided way and thus fulfill only half its potential Attracting the affluent and the educated, it will provide a congenial home for the intellectual and cultural elite, but it will risk turning the quest for enlightenment into a private journey that in the face of the immense suffering which daily hounds countless human lives can present only a resigned quietism. The special challenge facing Buddhism in our age is to stand up as an advocate for justice in the world, a voice of conscience for those victims of social, economic, and political injustice who cannot stand up and speak for themselves. And we can include the earth in there as well. This, in my view, is a deeply moral challenge marking a watershed in the modern expression of Buddhism. I believe it also points in a direction that Buddhism should take if it is to share in the Buddha's ongoing mission to humanity. This is not just for ourselves. You become a bodhisattva in training. And it feels so good 
to express your caring. It's not up to you to save the world. That's too much to take on. But it's up to you, uh, as Julia Butterfly Hill, in one of my inspirations, says, to see it as a joyful responsibility. A joyful responsibility to bring your gifts into the world and to make a difference. And out of the the love that you can share instead of the frustration and the outrage and the anger, which is naturally part of what we might be feeling, underneath that outrage and anger is a caring, loving heart. And if you can get in touch with that, that becomes very magnetizing and inspiring to others. So this is what we're doing, learning to love ourselves, learning to connect with others, learning to express our caring in the world. I'll end with a passage from Nyosho Kempo, who's a great Tibetan master. He says, we are not practicing for ourselves alone since everyone is involved and included in the great scope of this perfectly pure motivation to benefit others. Whatever else we might do is secondary to that. And if we cultivate this good heart, this altruistic, unselfish attitude, then all strife and struggle will naturally be pacified, purified, and transformed in us and become beneficial to others through contact with this good heart, which we the bodhisattvas strive to embody. So let's sit for just a moment. Thank you for your attention. So enjoy the short walking period and we'll come back for one last sitting and um, I'll share a a moving little story um, to close for the evening. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.com dot org slash donate.